Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, May 20th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and with me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to make sense out of this week's market activity. George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Don Severno, Senior Lead Research Analyst covering international markets. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So it's been a challenging week again with some big swings in the stock market. We started the week with positive data on Tuesday with a decent report from the Census Bureau on retail sales, up 0.9% month over month in April, and the stock market was up around 2% that day. Hence, the following day on Wednesday, two bellwether consumer retail companies missed earnings reports, sending not only their stocks down, but the whole market lower by 3 to 4%. Not surprisingly, comments around the earnings misses referenced inflationary costs. So George, what's your read on this week's activity thus far? And do we think it changes the picture on the outlook for the consumer and the economy? Well, as you mentioned, Brian, it's been kind of a mixed bag this week in terms of things we've seen happen from the economy and also from the financial markets. Obviously a lot of volatility along the way. There do seem to be some clouds that are forming that are getting a bit darker in the sense that we've seen some real concerning um, headlines with respect to surging gas prices, of course, food prices and, and necessities such as baby formula have, are experiencing some significant shortages that have been well documented. And now we're starting to see some of those kind of play through in terms of the companies, um, as you mentioned, and also what's happening in the financial markets too. You know, I think looking at the numbers from those two major retailers we've talked about is that both companies actually reported higher sales versus the year ago. So the consumer is still spending, but yeah, as you mentioned, not as not at all well in the sense that many of these retailers have been stuck now with some excess inventories. And they're also gonna be faced with some rising inflation pressures that are hurting margins. And there's also some evidence now that maybe the low end consumer is starting to perhaps feel a pinch of some higher prices. Uh, so I do suggest, I would suggest that things are, are probably not all well, but things aren't terrible either. Uh, the employment situation is still quite strong. Uh, unemployment claims actually fell to the low level of uh, where they were back in 1969. So a 53-year low in terms of people applying uh, applying for new unemployment insurance. Uh, That's pretty good and that really does not suggest a recession is imminent given those um, employment numbers. Uh, We also saw actually some some modest deceleration in inflation. So inflation is still pretty elevated to be sure, but it does seem to be peaking. Commodity prices have come down a little bit. Um, Used car prices have also started ease a little bit. And also we've seen wages, they're still high, uh, but they were maybe running at about a 6% clip. Now they're running close to 5%. So still somewhat elevated, uh, but come down a little bit. I think the Fed is kind of getting what it was hoping for though. And since we've kind of seen some of the air come out of the bubble, perhaps, you know, home prices are still elevated, but home sales actually fell now for a third straight month. So maybe some of those higher mortgage prices are starting to eat into that a little bit. But to me, it kind of feels like a bit of a valuation correction. Obviously, it's a painful one and a big adjustment for sure. But 
I would think that the Federal Reserve is probably pretty content right now to actually kind of take some of the air out of the bubble with respect to these high valuation stocks and maybe some of the froth that's coming out of the market. You would note, for example, I think that this year, with the market down kind of in the mid-teens or so, really there's about eight companies uh, with inside the S&P 500 that are responsible for half that decline. And you know, we talk about the S&P 500 all the time, but I think it's important to note that the that's an index that's cap-weighted, meaning the larger companies represent a larger share of that index. And so when you have these concentrated indices and coming into this year, these eight companies represented uh, close to 30% of the overall market cap. So there's another 490 companies that represented the, the, the vast majority of the market, but they, the, the, the larger companies had such a big portion of the, the market, it became somewhat concentrated, if you will. And so we're starting to see some of these companies kind of lose their momentum. And that's kind of playing out to the broader markets as well. But I think it's interesting to kind of note that maybe that valuation compression is really most acute in the tech space in general. So maybe, Steve, if you don't mind, what are your thoughts with respect to the technology sector in the market today and also going forward? George, my colleague and I, Mike Schroda, put together a, a key question article that's available on key.com that talked about this this week. And, you know, when you look at the technology space in general, valuations were very extended in reaction to the, the COVID episode last year and the year before. You know, effectively, when people moved home and were ordering all of their their necessities for daily life online, uh, we really saw explosion in, in the idea that there was a, a new way to live and do things. And people bid up these stocks. And what we've essentially with the Fed stepping on the brakes in terms of monetary accommodation is we've seen valuation multiples come in and compress. Um, we've seen it for the market in general with the 500's forward PE multiple coming in to a little less 17 as we speak, but it's been even more in the high multiple technology names. You had seen stocks that were trading near 30 uh, times earnings now trading around 23. So they still trade at a premium to that market multiple of 17, uh, but that multiple has, has come down markedly. And you know, given that such a high percentage of the S&P 500 in the market in general had been concentrated in those high multiple tech names, that's had a disproportionate impact on, on price in general for the market. You know, When you talk about those consumer levered companies that reported earnings this week. You know, I think the biggest takeaway for me on that, that companies in general are having a hard time pushing through all of the inflation. Maybe we could push through some price increases to deal with supply chain bottlenecks. Maybe they could push through low single digit uh, increases, but when you start to get the type of wage increases that we've seen uh, starting to impact uh, impact things here over the last three to six months, uh, we've kind of hit a level where these are having problems passing through all inflation that they've seen. That weighs on profit margins, and probably the biggest concern that I have as we head into the back end of the year is impact the overall earnings number for the S&P 500. You know, the S&P 500, the stock market in general, have a hard time going up when the earnings number is going down. Right now, we've seen that earnings number flatten out. Uh, if we were to see it inflect lower uh, in an environment that we're in where we see multiples under pressure, uh, that could lead us to another down leg. That's not necessarily what we're predicting right now, but it's something to watch. 
you know, the other thing that's really been uh, catching my eye has been the moves in the credit markets. Rajiv, what are you seeing there? I mean, are you seeing credit uh, still behaving or are we starting to see things, you know, go a little sideways there? What's up? Uh, thanks, Steve. Uh, yeah, credit markets have been going wider. Uh, the interesting thing is we've talked about this uh, a couple of times that, you know, spreads have been very orderly. They've been, you know, going wider, orderly. But when you think about it, it has been leaking. So where we see ourselves now, credit spreads are wider on the year, obviously. And, you know, for the month itself, we're almost 22 basis points wider in investment grade, which is pretty substantial. If you look at um, high yield, we're about 100 basis points wider. We can call that orderly just because they haven't blown out like we've seen in the other risk markets, like equity markets. Uh, these companies are very well capitalized. They're, they have uh, strong balance sheets. They're doing all the right things. Uh, but there is this sentiment in the market right now, especially in fixed income, that uh, there's kind of a risk off trade going on right now. So as you see the equity markets behave the way they are, you are seeing some uh, outflows out of investment grade funds, mutual funds and ETFs outflows out of high yield funds and ETFs. And I think this is kind of weighing on the market right now because when an ETF or a mutual fund starts to uh, have a liquidity issue or redemption issue, they tend to sell some of their, um, their most liquid names and try to get the best bid on it. When you do that, you start seeing uh, some kind of jitteriness in the, in the, in the uh, credit markets and you start seeing some of these very well capitalized names start to be trading out there on bid lists. We've been seeing that for quite a while. We've taken advantage of some of those, uh, uh, high quality names when they come out to the market but at the same time you can't uh you can't deny the fact that credit has gone wider we can compare it to 2020 march 2020 obviously we're not at those levels right now but this constant leak has happened and it's kind of telling you the total return picture for the year so rajiv if the economy continues to soften with what we're talking about during this call do you see the fed taking the same position that they've been predicting or do you think they'll change their course uh, as of right now, Brian, I think the Fed continues on course. Uh, they've telegraphed it uh, repeatedly that 50 basis points in at least the next two meetings. I don't think they uh, take their foot off the pedal there. Uh, they've already been behind the curve before. They don't want that to happen again. Uh, and they're going to do whatever they can to catch up. So they're going to do those uh, two rate hikes that we anticipate. The market right now is anticipating by the end of the year about 7.7 .7 rate hikes uh, by the end of the year. So everything seems to be pointing to that direction. I would, again, reiterate that uh, there's been a reset, if you will, uh, with monetary tightening through both rate hikes and balance sheet runoff, which is supposed to start next uh, next month. You're seeing a reset in fixed income yields. Uh, it's creating this risk off tone in the markets, uh, lower yielding and longer duration markets. They've been posting those outsized uh, total return losses for the year. But growth concerns are picking up, as you mentioned, Brian, and, and, I, and we see that U.S. Treasuries are becoming a safe haven of sorts especially the belly and further out in the curve. In the front end of the curve, that's really being manipulated by this notion that the Fed is in play. Those 50 base points hikes are going to happen. Uh, so the front end is reacting that way and going uh, higher in yields. But you're seeing the belly and the, uh, the tenure and, and further out start to flatten out a little bit. Yields are going lower. And you're starting to see uh, that whole thing where we got to 3.2% on the tenure. Uh, we're, we're far away from that right now. We're on 2.885% or so on the tenure. Uh, no signs of us getting close to 3% right now with all this pressure about economic slowdown. So I think it's important to note though, too, Rajiv, you had an interesting chart this week that you were passing around that talked about the number of rate hikes the market is expecting the Fed to uh, institute this year. And as you just noted, the I think the, the forecast calls for slightly more than seven rate hikes or so. 
um, in 2022, but that's down. I mean, I think just a few months ago, they were suggesting they would do even more, right? So we've seen some of that pressure ease off a bit. So I think Brian's question is a really salient one to try and understand maybe that if we're starting to see signs of, of, of slowing, maybe the Federal Reserve might have to back up at some point later this year. I, I agree with the nurture and they, they really can't ease off the, um, off the brakes too much in the sense they really wanna see the economy slow down even further. But maybe there's a, a suggestion perhaps somewhere in the latter part of the year where the Fed actually kind of backs off a bit. Do you think that's plausible? Uh, they do have an advantage, George. Uh, they have the advantage of that they could do the two uh, rate hikes, 50 basis points in the next two meetings, uh, maybe one more, and then they have the summer off. Uh, there's mm -hmm. no rate, there's no meetings in the summer. You can be data dependent at that point. You may decide that uh, data is looking good and we don't have to do much more. Uh, I would also say, however, that you know, when we saw ourselves uh, about a month ago in that chart uh, that by the end of the year, nine rate hikes, well, the 50 basis points took off two of them in, in uh, early May. So that chart still kind of points to that notion that 7.7, a little over seven, is still in line with uh, what Mark was predicting uh, just a month ago. So back to the stock market for a second. I think you know one thing that is, is worth noting is that, um, as Steve pointed out, earnings are going to be very key to watch going forward. And while it's unpleasant, and we are kind of talking about bear market territory, where I think most people define as a decline of 20% or more, obviously many, many stocks are down more than that. But typically, when you see a decline of roughly 20% or more, the forward turns, even in the midst of recession, uh, are actually positive 12, 12 months uh, later. So. It doesn't suggest that this is going to be a fun ride, and it hasn't been a very fun year for sure for most uh, most investors. Um, but really, you know, markets can rebound uh, typically from these declines as we go forward, and people don't often really know what would really cause those 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 things to turn around until they already happen. So a lot of unexpected things could still take place, and uh, I think investors should be prepared for uh, for either scenario potentially going forward. So George, Steve, Rajiv, thanks a lot for the great discussion on the U.S. and domestic market outlook. And now let's turn over to Don Severno. Don, what are your thoughts on the international markets and maybe some of the news that we saw coming out of China this week? Sure. Thank you, Brian. Um, so not only have we heard from China this week, we've also heard from, from some, some central banks from around the world as well. Uh, actually, earlier this week, the Bank of England, uh, they, they came out and said that uh, the economic momentum isn't really as weak as it was expected. They're actually going to be a bit more hawkish than, than we thought in general. Uh, and this is particularly due to retail sales. It's still a weakening trend, but not as bad as they thought. So expect more rate rises than maybe um, uh, were previously expected. And also that the labor market in England is probably going to be a bit stronger for longer. Uh, wage and price pressure, uh, it's uh, just a little bit better than uh, Bank of England's expectations. And, uh, you know, firms are always caught by macro shifts, inflection points, uh, no matter how good the data seems to be. And we're, we're seeing that in the BOE here. Uh, they, they started out being really hawkish, and now they're actually going to have to be even more hawkish to uh, keep up on the inflation front. Um, and then we also heard from the European Central Bank, the ECB, earlier this week as well. And uh, they're, they're, they keep moving up the time that they're expecting to raise rates. Uh, now it's happening that maybe as soon as July for a first rate hike. And we could actually see up to three 25 basis point raises this year. 
And gradual seems to be the buzzword in the Eurozone right now. And that has to do with both the quantity and the frequency of tightening for the rest of this year uh, to get on top of inflation. Uh, the council does agree that it, it's essential to signal that the ECB is serious about inflation, but uh, with negative rates still being the case in a lot of um, in, in a lot of Europe in, in a lot of the eurozone, uh, they, they are definitely going to be cautious. Um, July is probably going to be short of what's necessary uh, to be totally credible in the markets. So that's why we expect you know maybe a couple more rate rises by the end of the year. But the bigger news really has come out of China. Uh, the, uh, there, there was a 15 basis point cut in the five-year prime loan rate, uh, and that was greater than the consensus expected. And given what, what, what the pundits thought, that was actually a big surprise. Another surprise was that the one-year prime rate wasn't, uh, wasn't uh, cut. So this, this really gets at the property market within China. Uh, they're, they're trying to prop up the property market and real estate market and make consumers okay with buying houses or continuing their speculation and buying maybe second homes. Uh, also out of China this week, uh, they, they did uh, take, uh, they, they removed their bid for a 2023 Asian Cup soccer tournament. Um, and this is really, I think the market's reading a little bit too much into this. Uh, so we've seen a little bit of hit in China's market once this was announced, but uh, we, we actually think that this is because uh, China can't guarantee that they're not going to have empty stadiums, that, uh, you know, that there would be uh, full stadiums for this tournament. They are going to continue to have some type of COVID restrictions. Uh, and they just couldn't they they couldn't uh, say that next year that they're just going to allow a free for all within the stadiums for this tournament. Uh, so that's why they backed out there. And that gets at the the main issue with why China's slowing down, why they need to uh, lower rates at this point. And that's because they're maintaining their zero COVID policy. Earlier this year, we we thought that they may be backing off of that. But now it looks like their zero COVID policy is going to be in effect almost through the end of this year. If there's a change, we expect uh, the change to happen really late this year, December or even January of next year. And that's going to be after the party's Congress, and that's going to be after the uh, election for president, which we still expect President Xi to win with flying colors there. Uh, so uh, in, in summation, we expect uh, China's slowdown to continue because of their zero COVID policy. Although we do expect some type of change there and maybe a reopening of China's growth story much later this year or even into next year. Uh, and we also see more hawkishness coming out of the European Central Bank and the Bank of England moving forward. And that's all I have for you today, Brian. Back to you. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for the great discussion today. And George, Stephen, Rajiv, thanks for providing your valuable insights. And a special thank you to Steve for giving us his podcast update in the car this week. We wanted to make sure that he was available on the call due to the market volatility this week. And he is in between client meetings sharing his insights as well. So thanks again, Steve, for doing that for us. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today. And be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager. 
portfolio strategist or advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including Key Private Bank, Key Bank Institutional Advisors, Key Private Client, and Key Investment Services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp, Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.